you know, you can always learn more. You can always do more, and you can always, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in that there's never an end to learning, and you always can know more. Episode 156. What's up, ladies? Welcome to Biz Women Rock. This is your home for incredibly inspirational business stories from business women all over the world. I'm Katie Kremitzos, and I'm so happy you're here. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. Did you know with just a few minor changes to your LinkedIn profile, you can start producing results immediately? And by results, I mean business, money in your pocket. That's why you need to have LinkedIn Focus. This program will teach you everything that you need to know about where to spend your time in LinkedIn to produce results. Go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR and you can start getting free tips and strategies today. Julia Warren is my guest today, and she founded a nonprofit organization called Celebrate RVA. RVA, by the way, stands for Richmond, Virginia. And her entire entrepreneurial story is just so out there and different that I wanted to make sure to bring it to you today. Um, So when she was 15 years old, she got this great idea that she wanted to provide Uh, birthday parties for underprivileged kids who didn't necessarily get birthday parties. So she created this organization, created the nonprofit, um, and now at 18 years old, as a college student, she shares with us her story about um, all the trials and tribulations and what it really takes to, to grow a successful nonprofit, including finding and writing the best grants available for you and what it takes to really recruit the right volunteers and manage all of the volunteers. So let's get going into Julia's story. Miss Julia, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm excited to have you here. Um, the business that you have created, the nonprofit that you have started, just blew my mind when I first learned about it. And because it, it's something so simple and something so brilliant um, that I really wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about it. And and specifically because you are still so very young. I mean, we we actually talk to you know women business owners on this show of all ages. You're 18 years old. You started this company when, when you were 15. And so there's a lot that's happened in there. So I really want to dig into that. So um, why don't you start first with maybe why you, why you kind of started Celebrate RVA? Like what kind of gave you that idea? And then we'll talk a little bit about what it is. Great. So I started Celebrate um, because I saw this huge kind of gap where children weren't getting celebrated. And it broke my heart, really, because I've always been very lucky and very privileged to have a big birthday party and have all my friends and family come around and celebrate my birthday and celebrate my life. And um, to me, it goes a lot deeper than the cake and the confetti and the presents. It goes down to, like, the love that people have for you. And just that they cherish your life. And it broke my heart that these children just were not getting that celebration. 
And so I um, came up with this idea, and I loved it, and I became super passionate about it. And it's just about giving children that joy on their special day and making sure that they know that the Richmond community loves them and wants to celebrate them. So that's really the basis of Celebrate RVA, and that's kind of how we got our uh, foundation and how we got our start. So did you did you start just throwing these birthday parties at the very beginning or did you start like like officially sort of making it a nonprofit and going through the logistics of getting the paperwork ready and filling all that stuff out? What did you do first? So I um I was a was a, I was a junior in high school when this started and um at first everyone was like, "Oh, so you're just doing this as a school project." And I was like, "No, like I'm doing this for my own thing." But it's not, it wasn't a verified nonprofit. It was not that until I'm actually the end of my senior year. I took some time to really um, take care of the paperwork because I was also balancing high school and getting into college at the same time. Oh, yeah, that little thing. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, you see that little technicality there. Um, so I was really trying to make it a purposeful program, which is something else that I'm really passionate about is making things purposeful and um, really creating impact. And so I took that time I was throwing the birthday parties and when I decided um to kind of stay close to home for college I was like all right it's time to make this a nonprofit. it's time to do this the right way 100 percent so that's when we um really got our start and when we we had worked in a safe house for domestic violence survivors um so when they were had to be in a confidential location on the children's birthdays we would go to that location um, with just a few few select volunteers that had been through training and extensive background checks, and we'd go in and we'd celebrate and we'd throw just a little birthday party for them. And it wasn't a grand occasion, but it just meant so much to them that someone had come in to love on them. Wow. So we did that, um, and that was kind of our first couple parties, and they changed my heart in ways I can't even express, really. Um, it just completely changed my life and then we got our start in um, elementary schools because we saw that these title one schools where the poverty rates were 90 95 percent in children the only meals that they could count on were their breakfast and their lunch they weren't going to get a birthday party they weren't going to get that love they weren't going to get you know anything and so um, we decided to go in and give them the experience of a birthday party and the love and we bring in volunteers, and we bring in everything you could need, and we throw them a monthly birthday party. So all the children in the month of April or May, every child that had a birthday in that month comes to our birthday party. So how did you, how, when it when it kind of transitioned from this, like, okay, kind of one-off, you're going to these individual children's parties, to now it's a little bit more formal, now you're kind of doing this mass party. Like, what how, were you the one figuring out the budget for that? Like, how is that getting funded? I mean, I know it's not a huge deal, but it's still like, you know, the, all those little things start to add up. And if you're doing it on a regular basis, all of a sudden you've got Absolutely. you've got expenses and you've got a balance sheet that you need to worry about. So, um, you know, who was paying for that in the beginning and how has it evolved since then? Absolutely. So in the beginning, um, we were funded by individual donors who um, were family friends who heard about what I was doing and were giving very small donations. But for us, I learned to like economy shop and like <laughs> find things in bulk and like, God, like I was couponing as like a 17 year old and I'm like, everyone thought I was crazy, but it was awesome. <laughs> 
So, um, you know, it, at first we were individually funded, and then it grew into, um, you know, we couldn't get a lot of big corporate donations or in-kind donations just because we didn't have that 501c3 tax exemption where big foundations were looking for that to make sure that you're doing things right because they can't, um, you know, account for every nonprofit that they give to. Right. They rely on GuideStar and the IRS to kind of filter that for them. So if you don't have that, you're just not going to get those, um, the big donations that you need to sustainably run a nonprofit. So um, for a while, it was very much, um, you know, just we did what we could and we made it the best we could. And at times, my parents had to buy a birthday cake, but they did it because they knew and they trusted that this was going to grow into something so much more. And so then we got an amazing um, foundation grant for startups that didn't have that 501c3 tax exemption yet. And that was really, that's what really kicked us off. And it gave us the funds to be able to apply for 501c3 tax exemption. So when you have those funds, um, and since then, all the doors have opened. I write all of our own grants, so um, that's been an experience and a learning experience. Um, but we do, you know, everything that every other nonprofit would do. We do year-end appeals. We do monthly emails. You know, we keep it going, and um, we rely on big donors and foundation grants. And also a lot of it um, is in-kind donations because we can get kids involved so much more when we say, hey, like, you go buy birthday party supplies that you would want at your birthday party and bring them to us. And they are so jazzed about that because it gives them a kind of tangible way to give. Instead of just having a lemonade stand, we find that kids are so much more involved and so much more excited about the cause when they can give tangibly. Mm. So go into a little bit deeper there about the grant writing process, because for anyone listening who is considering, um, you know, creating their own 501c3 or they have it, I mean, continually getting funds in to be able to fund what you're doing, what your passion is, is really a con. You have to keep that top of mind. And there's a certain art to grant writing. So how do you find mm-hmm. the right grants for you? And what lessons can you share with anyone listening about how you've actually gotten approved for those grants? So the way that we find grants um, in Richmond, there's, and I'm sure they're all over the place, um, I would definitely recommend just searching um, something along the lines of Foundation Center or Community Foundation. Um, most communities do have them, and they, will, they themselves will offer grants. But they also offer resources um, for searching for grants. And we, I'm actually up in D.C. now um, to use the Foundation Center, which is a national nonprofit um, resource, to use their library. And you can go in for free, and you can search for donors. You can search for grants. Because it is expensive to get grants um, when you go online and, like, Google what grants are available most websites will make you pay to search for grants because that's how they make their money Um, because foundations will... So um, that's how they make their money, and that is really tough sometimes. And so I come up here, and it's totally worth your while. If you can find the right grant, um, there are a lot of free classes where you can go online or go in um, to a foundation center, and they'll teach you how to search for grants. And that was one of 
um, the best classes I ever took. If it costs you money, pay the $30 or whatever it is because the reward that you're going to get out of that class is so much bigger. You can apply for the $2,000, $2,500, $10,000 grant that you wouldn't have even known about. Got it. Um, so that's one thing that I would absolutely recommend. And it is an art. There is an art to grant writing, and it took me several tries to get it perfected. And it comes down to word choice. Every single individual word that you put into a grant application matters. You know, what strikes me, um, the, a question that I've really always had about grants, and this might be a total misconception on my part, but is that anytime you write a grant, like you're really promising that you're going to use this money for this particular program or arm of the company that you have. Um, and you have to you have to show them that you're doing that. So is it, I mean, my vantage point has always been like, do you need to like recreate a bunch of stuff all the time in order to get money for that? Or can you just constantly say, hey, we need money for continuing to do all of this stuff that we do now? Or are you sort of forced by the way that the grant system works to continually build out new stuff? So it really depends on the grant. Um, some grants say that, hey, this money can only be used for professional development, or this money has to be used for growing your nonprofit. And they're different, um, and that's part of searching for the perfect grant to apply for. Um, but yeah, some grants are very particular about what they want to see their funds go to. And they, um, all the grants that we've applied for have required itemized lists of what we've done, how we've spent funds, how we've managed it. And it all has to be very by the books, and it all has to be by the rules. And that's just a part of the grant uh, kind of, I guess, sector. Right. And um, it's tough, but if you have an idea and you want to grow, you can go to them and say this, um, you know, just for kind of continued uh, operating costs. Some grants will give you that money. You just have to find the perfect one. Got it. So it's really all about finding the right one, doing the research for that. If you're tired of your spend and hope marketing strategy, why not give Proven to Succeed a try? Postcard Mania specializes in direct mail and postcard marketing and delivers winning campaigns using a combination of proven industry results and groundbreaking direct mail technology like Direct Mail 2.0, They partner with Google to track and follow up with people that visit your website after receiving your mailing. And they do personalized postcards, which is, by the way, how they got started and how they got their name, Postcard Mania. When you set up a campaign with Postcard Mania, they dig into their database of proven results to find out what is working for businesses like yours. And guess what? They've worked with over 64,000 businesses, and the results speak for themselves. Like, for example, a Maryland dentist who tripled his patients by switching to direct mail 2.0. Or the accountant from California who made $60,000 off of one single mailing. Or even the private school in Texas that added 820 online prospects to their list in just 13 days. The results speak for themselves. Use Postcard Mania for all of your marketing needs. Sign up for your free consultation today. Go to postcardmania.com forward slash bizwomenrock. So one of the things that's, you know, I think prevalent in any nonprofit is the need to have volunteers and the need to have volunteers give their time, 
you know, sometimes give dollars, but it's really about time spent working in the organization and making it work. So how many volunteers have you, do you have, do you work with regularly? So we have a incredible group of volunteers and I cannot speak highly enough of my volunteers. Um, one thing that we found is because I'm kind of that millennial and I have tons of friends who are able-bodied and can get out there and serve beside me, um, I use them. I use them a lot. <laughs> and I can text them and be like, hey, we have a party today and like three volunteers are like sick and I will get six volunteers of, out of my friends. Wow. And it's awesome. So, And one um, study that was done is millennials love to donate but they love more to volunteer and see where their funds are going. It was a study done, and I forget who did it and what the actual numbers were, but it just showed that um, younger people want to see where their money is going, and they want to be able to identify with that. And so that's been really important is to be able to show them this is what we're doing. Um, Here it is, and they love getting involved. Um, they They like to donate, but they don't necessarily have the means to donate, so if we can get them to donate their time, it's a lot more impactful, and um, it kind of changes their lives, too. So what process have you put in place to be able to attract volunteers and to be able to kind of keep with the flow of making sure you have enough volunteers at your events every month? So every because we do have children, we kind of have to keep up that volunteer ratio, so we do require a lot of volunteer volunteers. And one way that we found is actually collegiate athletic teams. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, because like, they, they have, have to do volunteer hours, right? They A lot of coaches recommend it, and a lot of coaches require it. So we have football teams. We have lacrosse teams. We have soccer teams. We have them coming out. We also, um, the school that we work in now is trying to grow kind of their after-school soccer program club team. And... Um, So we said, well, why don't we get the soccer players to come in and give the kids the skills they need to be able to play soccer at their birthday party? So then they're not on the streets. They are off the streets playing soccer, doing something constructive with their time. And so it was kind of this twofold thing where, yeah, they came to the birthday party and volunteered and ate cake with the kids, but they also taught them invaluable skills to be able to help them out later on which is something that we love to do. Right. Um, What do you think one of the most challenging parts of running a nonprofit actually is? Gosh, it is, it's maintaining um, the kind of transparency that you must maintain. It's maintaining that um, and kind of keeping up with all of the regulations for nonprofits and there's always paperwork, and there's a lot of stereotypes about nonprofits, and it's hard because they'll nonprofits and charities are doing a lot of good, but sometimes that one article will come out where it says, "Oh, you know, this charity misused funds," and there's a there's a mistrust of nonprofits in a lot of areas. And it's hard to kind of break past that sometimes and assure people that what we're doing is 100% for our communities. Right. Where do you spend your time? Like, um, you know, you're going to school now too, right? So you're, you're in college. Yeah. Where, how, how are you managing, managing everything? And where do you spend your time when you're working on Celebrate? 
So I am a full-time, completely traditional student. That was one thing that I wanted to keep um, and one thing that my parents really wanted me to focus on was not giving up that college experience just because I was running a company and running and having a full-time job. So balance is really important for me. Um, I have worked with my college to have all my classes in the morning. I've been really lucky where they've been really flexible with that. So I have classes from 8 a.m. to like 1 o'clock typically. All um, That whole time is just passes classes. And then I hold office hours in the afternoon. And that's my time to respond to emails, to respond, you know, do the spreadsheet, plan for parties, run the errands. So I try to balance that. And, yeah, sometimes do I not go out on a Friday night because I have so much work? Yeah, sometimes that has to happen. But it comes with the territory, and it's so worth it that it doesn't even save me anymore. So what about expansion plans? Like, do you have any ideas on what you want to do to expand outside of Richmond? Yes. So right now we're in Richmond City Schools, and... We are focused in one school right now, and that is where we are kind of sustainably planning out our program, where we're giving it a, um, a plan, and we sit down, and there's a formula to each party. And we say, this day we need to do this, and by this date this needs to be done. So we're perfecting that right now. Next year we're going to be in two schools, and so we'll have two monthly birthday parties, maybe three. We're still working out those details. But we are very practically growing this because we don't want any child to come to the birthday party and not feel celebrated. We want every child to have a purposeful and impactful experience. And so we're growing slowly because we want to do it right. Because in my eyes, if you don't do it right, you might, not, you might as well just not do it at all. So we're taking it slow. We're looking at other cities because it is a program that can be transferred. It's a program that can be grown. And so we are taking it slow. But, yes, there is a lot of room for um, growing. And because I'm the only person working it right now, we do have to kind of consider the fact that I am in school and that, you know, could we expand to new cities? It's on the horizon, and it's not out of anyone minds, my board of directors, it's all on our minds. We're just trying to figure out a way to do it right. Right. Now, how about your board of directors? That is a very important thing to do, whether you're a for-profit business or a non-profit business. Mm -hmm. How did you find the people on your board and what role do they really play for you? Oh my gosh, my board of directors, I, I could not do what I do without them. They are an integral part of what we do. They support me in every decision I make in every question that I have. Um, I have four people that really started with me, and one of them in charge of finances, and he handles everything. He, you know, when I feel like I have a stupid question, he's like, no, 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 like, you've never taken a college course in finances. Like, I'm here to answer this for you. And he will answer, like, just the silliest questions. So it's important to surround yourself with a team who gets where you are in life and can kind of, and can really support you in that and answer the silly questions and give you the resources and the tools and the networking that is so crucial to any nonprofit or, uh, you know, for-profit business. What do you think is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned over these past couple of years in running Celebrate? 
the biggest lesson I have learned is to just stay humble, but that do what you love and the rest will come. Like, I love what I do, and every morning that I wake up, I am so thankful for what I have to do and that I love my job. Um, and just the biggest lesson is to do what you love, do it right, but the rest will come. And, um, you know, probably the best piece of advice that I ever got, and one thing that I always keep in mind is that just make God's love real and just make that a point in your life where, like, for me, that's just how I run. That's how I get through the day is that I am serving in God's light and that I'm doing His work through me. Well, you're certainly doing amazing things with Celebrate RBA and big congratulations to you and the growth that you've had and all the expansion I know you're going to have. So thank you so much for sharing your, your story, Julie. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Katie. What did I learn from Julia? Uh, on top of the fact that, uh, you know, she knows how to run an events company and write grants and all of that practical stuff, I learned that I did not have my stuff together at 18 the way that Julia does now. <laughs> oh, anyway, it, you know, she, you know, it even said, she's like, I'm a work in progress, as are we all, right? But um, anyway, she just really fascinated me, not only with the type of business and nonprofit that she's created, but how she approaches it just so professionally. And she gets it. She knows her numbers. She knows the details. She knows the, st- uh, the statistics. So I just found that very impressive. Hope you did too. I will see you on the next episode.